Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you once again here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I am so blessed to be with you as we now enter into this phase of Passover, this Passover meal, the famous last meal that Jesus, before he's crucified, has with his disciples. So this is podcast 96 as we continue our chronological study of the Gospels. And right now we are entering into Thursday of Passion Week. And so we're going to focus on today's podcast just about the preparation of the Last Supper and what Passover is all about. Why is it significant? And putting it in in context as to why this is the last meal that Jesus has and what does it represent? There's so much beautiful demonstration from the Old Testament and the foreshadowing of, of course, Christ laying down his life. So I pray that this is going to be very enriching for you as we look into our roots, into Judaism and see how significant this meal truly is. So I don't know if you've ever studied the Passover uh, in looking at it in context, in the social structures, and looking at the fulfillment of Passover, but that's what we're going to be covering today as we enter into Thursday of Passion Week. So I just pray that whatever's going on in your life, whatever burdens, whatever situations, whatever struggles, temptations you're facing in life, we just pray that God will comfort you Man, I'm just excited to jump into the Word of God with you because no matter what's going on in my life, you know, I have four kids and ministry and travel and writing two books right now and and preparing for other sermons and speaking. And sometimes it can get overwhelming and stress comes in and it can really be discouraging sometimes or sometimes we do things in our own strength. And we have to be reminded, my friends, as we're being reminded and challenged and comforted right now that we need to look to the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we look at this passage, I'm just reminded, and we're going to spend a few weeks here on Thursday of Passion Week on this podcast, but I'm reminded as I encounter this portion of Jesus's life, this evening of having Passover with his disciples, looking at them as they're, uh, you know, struggling to figure out what Jesus is all about, looking at the the hierarchy that's within the disciples or they assume exists, even though Jesus has no favorites. Seeing that night that Judas betrays him. So it puts things in perspective of where we stand with Jesus. So hopefully as we look into this Thursday of Passion Week, that you will really get an understanding of not only the faithfulness and love that Jesus Christ has for all mankind, specifically to you, my friend, and to me, but also looking at where the disciples were at in their process of following Jesus. So with that being said, let's start with the first event where we look at the preparation for the Last Supper. Now, this is found in Matthew chapter 26, 7 through 19, Mark 14, 12 through 16, and Luke 22, 7 through 13. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick with Luke chapter 22, 7 through 13, because pretty much when you look at the Synoptic Gospels, they all go hand in hand. So let's just pick things up here in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, where it says, 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, we're going to go a little deep in understanding the calendar of when this took place. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, it's always important when the writers are mentioning, because that's how they were able to, you know, where we now, I should say, figure out at what point in time this was taking place based on how the Jews, how writers put forth their festivals, what they were celebrating rather than like we put, you know, April 2nd, 1974. They mentioned the unleavened bread. They mentioned what feast they're celebrating. That's how they followed according to Luke chapter 23. So we're told here by Luke, the day of unleavened bread had come on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Now, that was an order according to the Old Testament. Now, both Matthew and Mark mention it to be on the first day of unleavened bread when you look at Matthew 26, 17 and Mark 14, verse 12. Now, what's important is to looking at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it is a seven-day celebration which follows the Passover. Now, many refer the eight days as Passover according to Luke chapter 2, 41 in Luke 22, verse 1, in Acts chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. The reason that is significant is because it is between two Sabbaths. Now, here in verse 8, it says, So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. So Jesus is sending out two of his most prominent disciples, Peter and John, to ensure that they reserve this private chamber for Pascal. That's what the Jews refer Passover as. And they would need a lamb, obviously. They would need bitter herbs. They would need wine. And according to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, they need unleavened bread. Now, upon purchasing the lamb, Peter and John would take it to the temple to be slain, and then they would roast it at the place Jesus reserved for them to have the Passover meal. Now, that context is important because typically people, just when they're reading the passage, say, well, this is, you know, they went to go get the lamb and that was about it. No, there was a lot that went into preparing, which speaks to why Jesus told Peter and John to do this because it seems that it wasn't that they were better or smarter. He could rely on them, that they would get all of these duties done according to Exodus chapter 12, when they would get the lamb and then take it to the temple and then take it to the place where Jesus had reserved for them. They were told here in verse nine, then they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? Now, knowing that everything was booked in Jerusalem, remember all the people are coming into town. Peter and John are just making sure that they're able to fulfill the task that their master had given them. Now, of course, Jesus in responding to their concern, he says, behold, in verse 10, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water. Now, this is a distinctive sign that he's giving them. This man will meet you because when you go into the city again, it's crowded. There's so many things happening. Everyone practically is getting ready for Passover and are carrying jars. But he says, this man, it's a man, not a woman who will be carrying a jar, which is distinctive. Follow this man into the house. That he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room, which is an inn or a private chamber, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 12, and he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. Now, if you recall, you go back to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 34. Just a few days prior to this, remember Jesus had sent two disciples to retrieve an ass and a cult. So they, they've been having these responsibilities leading up to the Passion Week. And here he gives them a distinct sign of this man carrying a jar of water. And as I mentioned earlier, this was usually a job of a woman, not a man, which I also think is actually insightful because I think it actually points to the fact 
that Jesus clearly knew this man because this man more than likely was a disciple of Jesus. See, oftentimes we get so fixated on the 12 that we fail to realize that Jesus was impacting. And many times, as we've talked about here on this podcast, there were many other disciples, maybe not to the extent, obviously, of the 12 who become apostles, minus Judas Iscariot, but this is an indication that one of Jesus' disciples outside the 12 was helpful in preparing this large upper room. He reserved it for Jesus and his disciples. Now, another thing that's insightful is that the fact that Jesus had already made these connections outside of the disciples, and then he gives them that order that day. Perhaps he did this because he was keeping these plans secret in order to prevent Judas, who, remember, was plotting to betray him, from spoiling the Passover meal. So those are just some interesting thoughts. Now, this upper room was not just, I believe, a location at this night of the Passover meal, but also we see it being involved in other key events. For example, when you look at Christ's appearance in John chapter 20, verse 19, verses 24 through 26, you see in Acts chapter 1, 12 through 26, that the apostles gathered to meet. I believe this was probably the same upper room, which goes back to the fact that this man, whoever he was, that was carrying this jar, was a disciple of, of Jesus and was there to help the 12 minus Judas Iscariot until they elected uh, Matthias. But also in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is more than likely the place where the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon them, the same upper room that they're going to have the Passover meal. Now in verse 13, it says, and then they went and they found it just as Jesus had told them and they prepared the Passover. Now for all my Bible scholars out there, if you are trekking with where this time frame is, was I mentioned about the unleavened bread and they counted as eight days within the celebration period of unleavened bread to lead to Passover. And you're, you're, you're familiar with what the different gospels mentioned. Let me give some clarification on the calendar because there seems to be an apparent contradiction as to when this actually occurred. Now, the Bible makes it clear that the Jews are to celebrate, obviously, Passover on the 14th day of Nisan. Our calendar would be within March or April and sacrifice a lamb on twilight, according to Exodus 12, verse 6 and Leviticus 23, verse 5. And what they were to do is they were then to take it and was to be con it was to be cooked and consumed on the evening of the 15th of Nisan. Now, however, there does appear to be a contradiction as to when Jesus and his disciples partook of the Passover meal. When you look at the Synoptic Gospels, it states it was on Passover, which would have been the 15th of Nisan. However, when you look at John chapter 18, verse 28, it clearly states, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Well, if Jesus is already betrayed in the garden and brought early in the morning to go to Pilate. They already had the Passover meal, but we're told here that the religious leaders did not yet have the Passover meal and they didn't want to defile themselves because of that. So which is it? 
if the Jews hadn't partaken of the Passover meal until after Jesus' crucifixion, how could the synoptic gospel say Jesus and the disciples had their meal on Passover? So let's, let's examine this. First, the Jews in first century, they worked off of two calendars in observing the Passover. So keep that in mind. Two calendars while observing the Passover. The traditional Jewish calendar is from sunset to sunset. In the Roman calendar, is from sunrise to sunrise. So there's the difference and why we have two active calendars. So in a way, it, it provides an overlapping between the days, but also reckoning the same date. Second, with the influx of Jews on Passover, many Galileans would celebrate Passover a day earlier, according to some traditions, on the 14th of Nisan, in order to sacrifice their lamb at the temple and have a place to eat their meal. Thus, Jerusalemites would have sacrificed their Passover lambs on Friday afternoon, the 15th of Nisan, because they lived there, exactly the time when Jesus died on the cross. So hopefully that helps in explaining what seems to be an apparent contradiction when in fact it isn't. And that is important here on this podcast, my friends, is that we go deeper, not just surfacey, that we look at the geography, we look at the language gap, we take a look at the, 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 the deeper understanding. If there is uh, several different accounts of that same event, we pull them together to make sense of it. Now, sometimes as we just looked at with the 15th of Nisan or the uh, 14th of Nisan, when was it? We see clearly now how we can clear up any type of confusion that might be there. So now we turn our focus to the first part of the Passover meal. In Matthew 26, verse 20, it says, When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. So during the day, the disciples, particularly Peter and John, again, they were preparing for the lamb taking it to the temple, getting a sacrifice, coming and cooking it. And so by the time it was evening, that's when they came because in Mark chapter 14, verse 17 says, when it was evening, Jesus came with the 12. Now Luke chapter 22, 14 through 18 gives us a little bit more detail. So we're going to use that one, but we're going to start off using John 13, verse one, where it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, meaning in Greek, to go to another place out of this world to the father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love this because this is a beautiful euphemism that John gives to capture the true person of Jesus Christ. Now this phrase, Jesus knew that his hour had come, John mentions as many times throughout his gospel that Jesus' time had not yet come, but now his time has come. You go back to John 2, verse 4, John 7, verse 6, John 7, verse 8, John 7, verse 30, John 12, verse 23, John 17, verse 1. But now it says Jesus knew that his hour had come. This was the last night he was going to be betrayed. His time had come to give up his life and to demonstrate his unconditional love to the world. As I mentioned before, Mark 14, 17, when it was evening, he, Jesus had come with the 12. This marks the Passover meal with the disciples on Thursday evening. So that's why I believe, because there's a lot of debate out there. You can go on the internet. There's different commentaries. Many of them that I respect will say that this was a different day. This was Wednesday or this was Friday. I believe this is Thursday evening according to, to the context. 
Now we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, if you know Jewish holidays, particularly the Passover Seder, you know that it reflects slavery, right? It goes back to when the Hebrew people were in Egypt and they were slaves and they would pray what was known as the Halakma Anya, which said, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come and celebrate Passover. Now we are here. But next year, may we be in the land of Israel. Now we are slaves, but next year, may we be free, end quote. Now one commentator writes, quote, The normal procedure at the Passover meal was to have an opening prayer, which was followed by the first of four cups of wine and a dish of herbs and sauce. Then the story of the institution of the Passover was recited. Psalm 113 was sung and the second cup of wine was drunk. After a grace, the main course of roast lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs was eaten. And after further prayer, the third cup of wine was drunk. Psalm 114 through Psalm 118 were then sung and the fourth cup of wine was drunk. Now, again, I give this context because oftentimes, especially in America, in the Western world, we oftentimes think of it just as a one-time gesture that they sat around, they had this little tiny meal and Jesus gave them the cup, passed the unleavened bread around and that was it. They called it quits. So it was kind of a quick Passover meal. That's not the case. There was a lot of ritual that went in through this and a lot of reading or reciting of the Psalms. And it was important too to notice that they were fixated on the affliction that their forefathers had gone through in the land of Egypt, that they were delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of bondage. And so here we have Jesus, who is the Savior who will deliver his people from their sin. He is the true Lamb of God who will lay down his life for them. So this is a very significant point in time when Jesus knew that his time was up and he was waiting, anticipating to have this meal with them. And notice, if you go back to verse 18 of Luke chapter 22, he says, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. My friends, when you and I fast forward now into the church world and we partake of communion, some people call it Eucharist, and we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross, that we remember that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and that when the women came to the tomb on Easter Sunday that there were two angels and they told them that the man that you're seeking the person the savior Jesus who you are looking for to embalm to finish the work to bury him properly he is no longer here for he has risen and so now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And when we take that communion, we are remembering what Christ has done for us 
that we were once dead in our sins, but now through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are alive in him. We're reminded in Romans chapter six that we were buried with him in his death and we were raised to newness of life. And so you can imagine all of these centuries, the Jews have been celebrating Pascal. They've been looking to the ultimate deliverer one day, the Messiah. And here he is preparing this meal and saying, I will fulfill this. I am he. I'm the ultimate deliverer, not Moses. Even before Moses, you look at Noah and the ark and what that represented in God's judgment, the wrath of God falling upon the earth and God saving eight souls and what that represented and Moses, the prophet and what he represented. And now we see Jesus partaking of Pascal with his disciples. He's about to be betrayed. He's a man without sin. He's a son of man. He's the second Adam. So what a blessing this has been to discuss Pascal with you. And if you are a Gentile, if you are someone who has never had a Seder meal, perhaps maybe your church has never done it. I encourage you to maybe talk to some of your leadership. If you're a pastor listening to this podcast and you've never done a Seder meal at your church, uh, I've been blessed to partake of many uh, where Messianic Jews have come in and they've catered it and they've walked us through it. I will tell you, it's pretty long, but it's fascinating. And I walked away every time with a greater appreciation of not only the scriptures, but what the Jews went through and the faithfulness of God and seeing it through every aspect of what the Seder meal entails, seeing Christ in every aspect of it. So please take advantage of that. It would be a blessing to you. And I know certainly to your family and hopefully to your church at large. So my friends, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today as we continue to go through our study as we're looking at Thursday of Passion Week. I pray this has been encouraging and uplifting to you. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.